What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. How long will the disappointment of losing the division to the Braves and then being eliminated from the Padres, how long is that going to hang over this franchise? Unfortunately, until they get back to the same spot or further next year. That's going to take a lot to win 101 games. Now they have to win the division next year. That'll make it go away and get into the division series. But until that, I don't think that this is going to go away anytime soon. I'm right there with you. Now, the good news for the Mets is this is not, let's say, 2015 or 2016 reincarnated when you fully expect that Steve Cohen and company are going to spend big bucks. They're going to make big moves. I expect them to be a big player. But they were in a situation, guys, where it felt like they were shooing to be playing deep into the month of October. And then you watch September. You watch the final two weeks. It's hard to believe that we're talking about the division series. The Yankees getting ready for game one. The Braves getting ready for game one as a division champ. And the Phillies That's, still playing, and the Mets are not. That's crazy. I also think it's going to be hard for the Met fan, I mean, not if it's the best word, to trust this team again, right? 101 wins, and you're out by the wild card round. Well, how, how's the Met fan going to trust this That's team? That's kind of the point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, even if you win 101 games. And now, if you win the division, you're ahead of right. what you did last. But outside of that, you're right. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 16th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome in to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. We are full here in uh, Metsland off-season mode, even though tons of baseball being played, and I come to you and introduce you on this Saturday morning with a big 
two-part edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Yes, you're going to get two shows today, two hours of content. That should get you through the week. And maybe, you know what, depending on how things go, we're going to try to take a week off here at some point before the craziness of the offseason really begins after the World Series. But a lot to talk about, ironically, even though the season ended, oh, about a week ago. Billy Epler and Buck Showalter had a press conference. The randomness of the baseball playoffs. How are you feeling since the Mets are out of your life? Are you having trouble there, kind of getting your schedule recalibrated? I am. I'm sure you are. And then later on in part two, a completely different episode, I'm bringing on, and we did this, I think, earlier in the year. Definitely earlier in the year. I don't think it was uh, late last year. But I'm bringing on a collection of four Talking Mets luminaries, some new people from the last panel, uh, some returning. It's nothing uh, personal. We just try to mix it up a little bit. But we had a panel, I think, earlier in the year, and it went really well, a four-person panel. We do it a little bit like uh, you know a cable news show. Do a panel. I, I'm the moderator, and I throw in a couple of things and hear from you. You always hear what I have to think, and you send emails and tweets and what have you. But this is a chance for everybody who is on Twitter, listens to the show, big Mets fans, to get their voice out there and get you to think. As I always say, it's mental bubblegum, and what I want to do is get you through the week with as much thought-provoking content as possible. So part one, we kick it off here. Where do I start? You know, what's really, and I said this last week, we kind of talked about and what a great reception I got with uh, baseball is designed to break your heart with using the whole Bart Giamatti, former baseball commissioner's quote, as the fuel for what we talked about with the disappointment of the 2022 Mets. And what's interesting about the sport and why I still think the sport, despite all the challenges and all the criticisms and everything that the media wants to attack it with, and sometimes I think they like to attack baseball because, look, it's pretty cool to attack our country and the values of our country and baseball more so than some of the other sports is woven into the fabric of our country. So sometimes I feel it's like, Hey, they attack it because they hold it to a higher standard, but also it's a way of attacking core American values, which is a whole nother conversation that for another day. But what gives me hope is that there are so many of you and myself included that after you've built this six to eight month, really since St. Patty's day, uh, relationship with the team, with each other as we go forward. And let's face it, you know, you got work, you got family, you've got personal things, you've got other interests. It's healthy to have other interests. It's important to have other interests. You can't consume Mets baseball every second of every day. But the games and the daily interaction are kind of like a foundation of how you schedule your day. And I was thinking about that just the other day. Here I am yesterday. I actually brought out YouTube and was watching an old Mets game from 1986, random one, a, a 4th of July 1986 game, 2-1, Mets beat the Astros. Why? Because I was Jones for some baseball, also with the new rules coming in, which are trying to, and Theo Epstein talked a little about it, and we'll get to that, which are trying to bring back the aesthetics of baseball, which a lot of longtime fans, those in my age group and older, yearn for. I wanted to see a little bit about how the game was played because we forget, you know, yeah, we watch clips and highlights of the 86 Mets and this home run and that that play. But, you know, really, how were the fielders positioned? How hard was the ball hit? What was the pace of play? Um, What was the repertoire of the pitchers? It was Doc Gooden versus Nolan Ryan and then some Astros relievers. So 
something that I'm going to try to do um, as we go through the offseason to begin to really balance out the way I look at the game. It's so easy because we've been watching the game a certain way for so long and we get so caught up in recency that we forget it's more than just watching the 86 World Series or watching an old playoff game. The randomness of a game that is now, uh, to the credit of people that put it up there and MLB not taking it off, it's up there on YouTube. So I know you're probably feeling the same thing. You know, it's, hey, the game is at 7 o'clock tonight. So, you know, I got this to do, that to do, have dinner at this time. You know, got to go here with the wife, here with the spouse, here with the husband, here with the, the kids. And you try to make it where there's the flow of your day. And, and there's always that, hey, I got to check the score or I really want to watch this game or let me go on MLB.TV and watch the replay or let me tape it, whatever you do. And that's just gone. It's like this big three, three and a half hour part of your day completely pulled out. And I'll tell you the truth, Monday, Tuesday, you know, I handle these these losses and these seasons pretty well. It's part of life. You know, you heard what I talked about. But I will tell you, this one bothered me a little bit more than maybe some of the others in recent years. Uh, even 2015, which, you know, was kind of like the rug pulled out from under you because you wanted it to end a certain way. Uh, because there was such a connection, and I think Buck and Billy Epler talked about it, Buck specifically during their press conference on Friday, about he's never been around a team that not only was good players but good people and really connected with the fan base. You see Trevor May on Twitter and Trevor Williams on uh, Twitter, you know, kind of putting their things out there. So I know how you're feeling. So hopefully as we go forward, as we get into the off-season edition of the Talking Mets podcast, you know, this can fill – weekly some of that void and and I know that everybody here is trying to recalibrate that's the thing about baseball it's truly like what Bart Giamatti said you have to recalibrate when the fall is here you know they got the holidays coming up and believe me before you know it with the craziness of the holidays and you know when you get to January and you're shoveling snow or whatever taking the public transportation and cursing as you slip and slide on some ice before you know it it will be spring training it will be pitchers and catchers and it will be opening day and we'll be Back on the saddle talking about all the things we talked about throughout the summer very shortly. So that's the good news. Now, going to my opening, and we will get, and I want you to hear some clips that I've put together from Billy Epler and Buck Showalter's press conference. Because uh, I thought there was a lot of interesting things. And like I said, uh, similar to what I always used to say with Brody Van Wagenen, he never lies to you. Brody dresses it up like a salesman. These guys in these press conferences, if you ask the right questions, you don't get direct answers. But they don't lie to you. They give you enough breadcrumbs to make an intelligent observation, an intelligent opinion. Sometimes those breadcrumbs can be used irresponsibly. Like I've heard people say, well, Steve Cohen's going to spend like mad. I didn't get that impression. But if you want to take away that, I think that's a little insincere. I saw some a headline that says Steve Cohen's going to spend like mad. I, I didn't take that. But you can get an idea of what these guys value and kind of where this team is going to go this offseason – at least from the start. You don't need sourced information for that. You're intelligent. You heard it. I heard it. I throw some clips out there. But what I want to start out with, you know, I come to you on this Sunday morning, right after the Dodgers were eliminated from the postseason, uh, the Braves were eliminated from the postseason, the Astros did their part in uh, in beating the Seattle Mariners. They were the favorite. You've got uh, the Yankees with a do-or-die situation, blowing a ninth-inning lead, first time in their history in the postseason. They've blown a lead of two runs or more in the postseason, and you look, you know, Cardinals were eliminated rather quickly after winning 94 games in the division, and you think about it, and and let me preface it by saying this. I'm the guy that always rails about 
when the results don't go our way, fixing the rules to give us the results we want. I think many years ago with reseeding in the NBA, which took away division winners, they actually were very prescient, and the NBA did it right. They don't do everything right, but the NBA kind of is ahead of its curve a lot of times. They, I think it was the Dallas Mavericks and the San Antonio Spurs, the two best teams wound up not playing in the conference finals because one, they were in the same division and because of the division winning situation and lack of reseeding. They, they didn't play in the conference finals. And that's the matchup everybody thought was necessary to figure out who was the best team in the conference. And because of rules and because of divisions, which people don't value as much, it didn't happen. NBA reseeded. They, they fixed their playoff system. They go to a best of seven in the first round to take away some of the randomness of an 8-1 seed beating another team, and away you go, and the best team wins. Now, I think the NBA is an extreme example where it's very hard for an underdog to win. It's very hard for anybody outside of the five or six teams to win a championship. And I think there is a certain charm um, with baseball giving everybody, I mean, look, the Cleveland Guardians now have a better chance of winning a championship than the Mets. And they was, quote-unquote, not always good throughout the year, and they were in a rebuilding mode. They didn't exactly run away with the division. They didn't play the perfect season or play the way that you want like the Mets. The Dodgers, I've compared them to the MLB version of the 96 Bulls. Here's a Dodgers team that's been the top of the sport, the smartest team in the sport, spent the most money, and they've got all they've got to show for it in nearly 10 years, is a pandemic season-shortened championship that was won in a neutral field. I mean, I, I don't consider that fulfilling. I mean, what I, I... I don't know how... If this was that, that was the Mets. Do you know what they would be saying? The Braves, they put high octane. And I think the Braves had this chip on their shoulder. You saw Luke was at uh, Luke Jackson talking about why are we not in prime time here on Saturday, like as if that matters. I mean, maybe for them, they want to they wanna get a little more time to, to start the game don't want to play in the shadows, whatever. But Braves had this chip on their shoulder around Memorial Day that, you know, after they spent the they spent the first eight weeks of the season basically celebrating last season, and everybody else got the memo that the season started, they kicked it in the gear. They played it an historically good run, like the 01 Mariners, like the 98 Yankees. And here they are. They're knocked out after four games. They got a bye week, basically. And it brings up the question that, you know, with this expanded playoffs, it gives so much opportunity for teams that don't do it the right way, that, like the Phillies, fired a manager, were under 500. And, look, the Phillies had to play and win the last week of the season. They were playing in front of nobody against the Nats with those rainouts when uh, the remnants of the tropical storm came up north. And you thought to yourself, the Phillies fans are not into this, but now they are. And that's where I call it a tournament. And it's always been a tournament, and, and now it's even more of a tournament. So I saw Howie Rose on Twitter. I saw him talking about racking and stacking the league. And this has nothing to do with sour grapes or with you know, the Mets getting knocked out because you want a league where everybody feels they have a legitimate shot because if it becomes like the NBA where there's four or five teams that only can win and you make it impossible for anybody else, a sport that's every night, that's long, even when they try to cut the amount of time that there is in between pitches – you're going to lose a generation of the fans because the fans in baseball have to feel like I'm investing in something. I'm not just investing in tonight. I'm not just investing in this at-bat. Baseball is about investing, and I think a lot of fan bases are like that, or the core, hardcore fans. They want to invest in a team that they think could do something special or can be the beginnings of something special. And it is a good thing that we see 
more teams getting in this in this way. If only the 2019 Mets had that opportunity, I thought they would have been a very dangerous tournament team. Um, even last year's Mets would not have been in, but maybe things are a little bit different down the stretch if they have that, you know, the, those three wild cards. With that said, and think uh, I want to thank our friend on uh, on Twitter at Clay underscore Senator Davis. Now the NBA, like I said, I think is where you have the best chance of the right of the right team, if you call it that, or the team that is considered better advancing. They've got best of seven series up and down the playoffs. Home field means or home court means a tremendous amount. And, you know, because of the nature of the superstar league and the sport itself, it's very hard when you have Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, or LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, or Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, Kevin Durant. It's very hard to beat those teams in a long series. You could steal a game here. Look, even the 96 Bulls lost games in the postseason. But to do it over seven games, very difficult. So... He threw this, and I don't know who put this out there, which smart person put it out there, because they're smarter than I. They put out there, how long would, would postseason series need to be in the NFL, MLB, and NHL to match the NBA's better team advances rate of 80%? So this is what they found out. In the NFL, it would be a best of 11. So basically, it take you two months to figure out who the better team is. In the NHL, it's a best of 51. So you got to play each other for two months in the NHL. And in MLB, you basically have to play a full half a season to match the NBA's better team advance rate. So we know that that's not realistic at all. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But here's what I am suggesting. You can still continue to honor history and not completely turn this into arena baseball by taking a little bit of the past and the future and combining them into what new baseball should be. Now, I've been radical. When I was running the old NYBD website, nybaseballdigest.com, which some of you may remember, I proposed something radical, throwing out American and National Leagues and having an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference, just like the NHL, just like the NBA. I don't think they're going to do that because now you're really throwing things off. But baseball is a regional sport, and I know with the new balanced schedule, they want fans in all markets like New York. Let's face it. In New York, you don't really get a chance to spend a lot of time paying attention to Seattle if you're a National League fan because they're on the bum end of the country, three hours behind, playing late at night. Um, so, you know, when Julio Rodriguez comes to New York, this is your chance to see him in person. You, you, not everybody has the time to consume baseball at a level where you're watching every game. Mike Trout, a guy that you don't see a lot because the, you're only going to see him come through once every three years, and they're not always coming through. City field. So now when you play everybody every year, there's a good chance you're going to see every other year a Mike Trout, a Julio Rodriguez. Name the star on an American League team because we're talking as National League fans here that potentially could come through. So now that you've already done that, you've watered down the regionality of the sport. You're not going to be playing in your division 19 times. You could still have a heavy emphasis on regional play because it makes sense from a cost perspective standpoint. It makes sense on the body and the and the travel and, and the players being at their peak. You don't want to be going out to the West Coast 62 times when the Phillies are 90 miles down south. But you could also go back to the way things were prior to 1969. Remember, there was an American League and there was a National League. And you could have that. And the American League winner after 162 games and the National League winner basically advanced. Now, maybe that's extreme because if you go back to that, the Dodgers would have ran away with this thing and nobody would have been paying attention after August 1st, even the Mets fans. And maybe the American League would have been 
fairly competitive, but you would have been really going it down to Houston and the Yankees. And let's face it, scheduling will never allow those two teams to play each other when it counts most. You have no idea. They may play early in the season. They may play late in the season. That's randomness that you don't want to have a part of. If you're going to have three division winners and three wild cards, I'm not proposing going to eight teams in each league, not proposing that. Three division winners, three wild cards. That's basically six postseason teams. Let's take away the randomness of, hey, the Cardinals are in a division with the rebuilding Reds, a rebuilding uh, Pirates. Uh, uh, you know, the Cubs were better in the second half, rebuilding Cubs. They're in the National League East. It's a lot different. Mets had to go through, and I've been saying this, even those who say, oh, the American League East is so tough. You know, Marlins are not a, a great offensive team, but they've got great pitching, and they lost 41 run games. So they were in most games. So that could have been flipped the script. That could have changed the division tremendously. That includes the Mets and the Braves. The Phillies, I thought, all year, and I had a, I said this on a podcast. Go back. Check it out. Back, I think, right after the Mets played the Phillies for the last time in August. In a short series, I worry that the Phillies are more of a threat because they got Wheeler, because they got Nola, uh, because they can score in different ways than the Braves, which I proved to be right on that. And their bullpen was improving. I, you know, I didn't even, I'd rather the Padres than the Phillies because I felt the Phillies had so many axes to grind and that whole rivalry, that I-95 rivalry was, was just something I didn't want anything, anything part of, you know, Wheeler, Syndergaard, all that stuff in, in a short three game. Wouldn't have mattered. Padres wound up and slaying the dragon themselves. It hurts because I know as a Mets fan, you're sitting here going, ah, those teams could win. I know the Mets could win. I do too. I do too. But that's another story for another day. So what I suggest, and this has nothing to do with bitterness or, I didn't get the outcome I wanted. You didn't get the outcome you wanted. And we want to change things. No. I think this makes it, it keeps the integrity of the season. And it allows a better chance. You're never going to get to where the stat guys want, which is a best of 75. That's ridiculous. I think a best of seven series, for the most part, will allow the better team, the team that did things the right way, to come out on top. Not necessarily 100% because it happens. There's still a chance for the Guardians and for the 86-win Phillies. Look, if that was a seven-game set, the Phillies are up 3-1. Braves still have opportunities to come back, and I could see where they would. You know, 3-1's not impossible. 3-0's never happened. Just, it's harder. So, I'm suggesting you rack and stack the National League and the American League like prior to 1969. You schedule and you create the schedule regionally. You want to see everybody play each other six times, so be it. You got the interleague, whatever. And the top six teams make the postseason. Seeds one and two will get by, so they get the time off. Three plays six, four plays five, and a seven-gamer. Then you play a championship series. Uh, excuse me, you play a division series. Then you play a championship series. Then you play World Series. If that means, like Howie Rose was saying on Twitter, that you cut the season down by eight games to 154, again, honoring history. So be it, because I think the postseason revenue you get from those expanded playoffs probably will make up how many times in the late late September with her, you know, with bad weather. I mean, look, the Mets opened up the gates for those Nationals games, and I think they let fans come down. I, I got to think, you know, you open the gates and nobody shows up. You're losing money as an owner. I understand the network and the television and SNY and all that. There's ways around that. It's going to make the sport better. It's going to still be a tournament. It's not going to make the randomness go away, but it makes it a little bit harder. At this point, 
us sitting here on October 16th, why would I build a team and spend the money to get a payroll to $300, $350 million to bring back really good fourth and fifth starters? If I could win 92 games, Buck said it during the press conference on Friday, I'd rather win 92 games and go to the World Series because nobody remembers that you win 92 games. Nobody remembers the 87 Minnesota Twins won 85 games and have to play in a weak division and won a championship. Nobody remembers that. They remember that they're the champions. They remember that they won in 91 and 87. They've got banners flying. Nobody talks about the 85 wins. At this point, you're really watering down where, you know, yeah, the randomness of three games, what have you, but what's the difference between three games and five games? What, I get five days off and I get a chance, you know, okay, the probability of me winning goes up. It's one less series. I have, I'm better positioned to potentially win against certain teams. But to me... I think both the Mets and the Braves, and this point was made last night, going at it as hard as they did, which built a lot of credibility and character, and I think it was necessary for the Mets as a franchise, less so for the Braves, probably contributed to them not being at their peak when it mattered. I said this, and go back. I'm not trying to toot my horn here. Go back to the tapes. Go back to, like, you know, mid September, I'm like, you might have to lose the battle to win the war. Everybody was criticizing Buck. Oh, he's not taking this game seriously. He's putting Joely Rodriguez in. You know, Scherzer's on the deal. Look, I think Scherzer could have probably pitched if they really needed him, and it was a a postseason game when his oblique was barking back in early September. May not have pitched well at all because you saw what happened in the Padres series. So baseball has made a lot of progress. We've We've come a long way from the coin flip days, when you would flip a coin to see a division winner or who would have home field because we had to book hotels. Remember that? Had to book hotels, so you had to flip a coin or or award someone home field because of uh, switching it back and forth. I mean, wacky stuff. Mets win 108 games. They don't even get home field against the Astros because the Houston Oilers needed the, the, the ballpark. I mean, think about that. Think about that series. A tough place to play, uh, a place that takes away... And neutralizes power, a big part of that 86 Mets team with Carter and, her, and, and Strawberry. And, oh, well, the Oilers need the, the ballpark. Houston Oilers need the ballpark. And nobody says anything. Nobody talks about it. Oh, this year it's the American League. This year it's the National League. This year the West team gets the division series. It happens. We based it on the All-Star results for years to make a game meaningful that nobody in the middle of the summer who really, really had something to do was going to stop to watch that because they want to make sure the Mets had home field. And a sport where home field is important, but not the end-all, be-all, for the most part. So something to think about. You heard me, you heard coming in, you heard Sal Licata, you heard our buddy JJ talk about the trust with the Mets, the trust with the team. It's something that we'll get into. Trust me, we'll get into it. Because it's, it's a theme and we're going to talk to our panel later about it. But, come on. It's a randomness tournament. And if that's the way it's going to be, that's great news for the Mets and with Steve Cohen's money. Because when you have a $300 million payroll, you should be able to build a team that at least gets in and wins 86, 87, 88 games. Unless there's a really top-heavy season. And if you're a team like the Cincinnati Reds or the Cubs, let's talk about the Cubs that are looking at this, that had a really good second half, they're not that far away from being in this tournament. And that's a good thing for the sport. 
but we got to make it a little bit tougher for those that don't take the regular season seriously and don't do the right thing to make it not so easy for them. You want to make it all five games are on, you know, the other team's field? Whatever. You can figure those details out with travel and everything. I'm fine. You don't win the division. You're not the top two seed. You don't have the better record. You're not traveling, man. That's fine. Make it hard. I still don't think it's going to take away from these teams winning. Look, the Padres won in L.A. The Padres won in New York. The Phillies won in Atlanta. The Guardians won in New York. It's going to happen. You have a good starting pitcher like Shane Bieber, like you Darvish, like Musgrove. It doesn't matter if you play on the moon. They could win. But let's make it a little bit harder. All right, let's take a quick break. You're going to hear some clips, my favorite clips, or some of the key points I thought from the press conference. Billy Epler and Buck Showalter met the media on Friday. It was one of the better, calmer, less narrative-driven, contentious press conference after a season that ended a disappointment that we've seen around here in a long time. Buck and Billy made some points. I think Billy Epler gave us a real good idea of where they're going in the offseason and their focus and direction. I don't think it's going to make everybody happy. But I think it's the right thing to do because you already built this team a certain way. You got to ride this thing out, especially over the next two to three years while he and Buck are attached to the hip. Let's take a quick break. When we return, you'll hear more, that and more, right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They're frustrated, and rightfully so. And uh, it was, it's, it's, it's cruel to see some, a group that have put so much in the season. But so have the fans, and so have everybody else. Uh, to get to this point, um, it was frustrating for everybody. But I think it drives you. It drives you in the offseason. 
you know, there's, some of you have been in my office, that board says February now. That's the next time where I'm on, so to speak. You know, obviously I've got a lot of confidence, Billy, in his group and by evidence of what's going on already. I mean, I look at where we were uh, a year ago on this date, you know, it's pretty impressive, I think, what ownership and the front office have done. And, and, and I think our, our fans should take great confidence in that because I know one thing, we'll be grinding every, every second of the way. It started about two or three hours after it was over, quite frankly, because uh, you've got to move on because this, this, this baseball world flies in the offseason. Um, and, uh, you know, while we fell short of what our ultimate goal was, you know, we can still look back and, and feel really good about, about the accomplishments of the season. Kind of step one in a blueprint uh, to drive this organization to a place where we can get sustainability where we can be a contending team year in and year out. Um, that's what builds culture. That's what builds expectations. And that's what we're going to you know, do here in the long term. But we have to take a long-term view to do that. Um, as far as uh, you know, where we go now, you know, Steve's continued to say, I'll support um, you know, this cause financially. And I'll, you know, we can use some money to bridge um, ultimately where we want to take this place, um, which, again, is, is to that sustainability where we're winning year in and year out. So, um, you know, as we sit here today, there's going to be a lot of work to do this, this wintertime. No, no regrets. Um, you know, went about it with a, a process, and, you know, we're always looking to get better. We're always going to look to improve our processes, right? What do we, how do we take the inputs of a forecast on, you know, player performance, which is variable, um, and how do we try to, you know, get ourselves to a place where we feel comfortable with the acquisition? So um, we were at that time, and you evaluate it right at that time. You don't result it um, because I think if you end up using results to guide um, in a probabilistic world, I, I think you're going to end up chasing, you know, bias or recent events um, to try to shape that narrative, and I don't think that's better for the long-term view. You know, but we did build the team to be able to, you know, pitch in the postseason. Um, you know, we, we, we headlined it with two guys that are going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Um, and, uh, and, you know, ultimately we fell short at the very end. Um, and there's a variety of things that kind of go into that. But if, I, if you tell me that we can design a team year in and year out that's going to win that many games or close to that many games, because like I said, we've, you know, between us, um, you know, in what, 65, 70 years in professional baseball, it's four times that it's happened um, between us. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, I kind of refer to it as being special or having a special season. Um, but if you tell me we can design a team that's going to lead an on-base percentage score in the top five in runs and we're going to have two Hall of Famers at the front end of our rotation, I think that's a pretty good recipe. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing in, you know, human performance, right? It's a probabilistic world. Um, it doesn't come with guarantees. Um, but I did like the position that our club was in. It's a probabilistic world. You heard Billy Epler talk about that. You heard Buck Walter after uh, they had some time to reflect on the Mets being bounced in the first round by who? By might be the eventual National League champs in the San Diego Padres. I think they're better positioned to beat the uh, the Phillies. I think Josh Hader, who I was concerned about, has found his mojo back. And uh, it's the Phillies and the Padres, the the two, the the five and six seeds 
when it came to the postseason that are playing it out for the uh, the right to play an American League team, the Astros, who probably the best team we've seen all year and probably will win a World Series when it's all said and done. But like Billy Epler said, there are human beings playing this, and it's a probabilistic world and no regrets. I think the other thing, as I start off here uh, in the second part of this part one, and we will be getting to the panel right after this. It'll be a separate download. It'll be a separate podcast, so stay tuned. You know, get a lot of content here on this uh, first off-season, off-season for the Mets podcasting day of the hot stove. It's not hot yet. It's chilly. It's chilly. We're not ready for the heat, though. Um, Buck Showalter said something about grinding it out and that they're already two or three hours after the ball game thinking about next year and starting to move forward, and that's important. And I go back. You guys always know I like to reference Pat Riley, and I was watching an old Charlie Rose interview uh, on YouTube recently that Pat did back when he was coaching the Knicks back in the 90s. And I remember this quote because it was used so much while he was coaching the Knicks, and I think if you hear some of his coaching tree, the Doc Rivers of the world and whatnot, you'll hear these things said similarly, maybe not quite the same way, but similarly. But when you want something so much, like winning, you it has to be so important that it hurts. And the fact that this hurts now, does it hurt for everybody on that roster? Well, if it doesn't, you have to question if they want to be here. And I'm not getting into the whole, I'm not devastated versus, you know, devastated, whatever that Tom Glavin old quote thing is. I'm not saying you go home and you, you know, you sit in a dark room for six months till you come back. I'm talking about professionally that when it comes to your craft, when it comes to your job, that this hurts so much that you want to take what that felt like and you want to use it as fuel for next season. And I think if I know Buck Showalter, and I think I know after watching him up close the last six, seven, eight months, I think that'll be a theme going into spring training. All the things that they did well, running the bases, attention to detail, good defense, commitment, um, you know, taking each series day by day by day. I think all those things are going to become staples of this team while Buck is in charge. And when you look at Billy Epler, and I think that's where it's a good yin and a yang, you know, old school, maybe if you want to use that term, new school, is that Billy Epler's looking at this, and I think this is where it could be hard for the fans over the long term. When he talks about it being a probabilistic view is is that he's not going to deviate from what he believes are the tenets and the principles of how he built this ball club, even though the San Diego Padres exposed it. Over three games. Because, by the way, things like contact, moving the run along, good, solid, quote-unquote, old-school baseball is exactly what you saw with the Cleveland Guardians yesterday in the ninth inning. To a degree, you saw components of it when the Phillies put the hammer down on the Braves in, what was it, the sixth or seventh inning yesterday. So making contact, going the other way, not swinging from your heels— uh, you know, things that he believes in with high on base percentage, grinding pitchers, all those types of things are going to continue to be a mainstay of the Mets. I don't think he's going to go out and say, you know what, we're going to dump Mark Canna and we're going to go get a swing from your heels slugger because the media and the fans want power. I think the Mets could use a little bit more power, but I also know that uh, their pitching was bad. They gave up six runs in a decisive third game. And even if they had scored what I believe is elite offense, five runs, they would have lost. Now, you would have felt a little bit differently because, oh, they lost 6-5. Maybe you wouldn't have felt embarrassed by the one hit, but they would have lost. In the end, the result's the same, and I think that's how Billy Epler is looking at it. 
Um, I think he's looking at this team as a team that is built on strong starting pitching, an offense that grinds down starters and gets into the bullpen early. They could put up four to five runs. Maybe they're not a bully offense, but um, they're also built on. You no, know, but they're they're an offense that could that could score enough to win. And then they have an elite closer. And I don't think that's going to change. Now, what was interesting is that Theo Epstein was on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman this week. And I was looking, and they asked, they asked him, basically, and I have to bring up my notes here. Uh, they asked him his thoughts on basically the randomness of the playoffs and what he thought as, if he was a GM, what matters and what doesn't matter as you get into the postseason. Well, what Theo talked about, what doesn't matter, is he was less concerned about the four and five starters, the bullpen depth, and teams that could beat up on bad pitching. You know, the Braves could fall into that category a little bit. What he really valued was top of the rotation impact starters, a closer, um, how you hit good pitching. Does that include contact versus home runs? It sounds like Billy Upler's trying to take a balanced approach in defense. All the things that are tenets of Theo Epstein, who broke two curses— who is an all-time GM, are things that the Mets actually have or have the ability to bring back in 2023. That means going back and trying to build that top of the rotation with DeGrom. Um, That means bringing back your elite closer. That means, you know, keeping the contact approach of this team. And does the power that you're missing, does that come at a cost-effective nature of Beatty, Alvarez, and Vientos? It very well may. Because if you hear... What Billy Epler said, they're going to go out and spend to bridge the gap, but that doesn't mean that Cohen's going to approve a seven-year deal for Trey Turner. And I'm not going to get into Trey Turner versus Nimmo versus DeGrom coming back, what you do. That's for another show. Right now, all we're talking about is top line, the focus, and what they're going to go out and do, not what we want them to do. We could talk about what we want them to do, but what we it sounds like they're going to do. What does it sound like? They're going to come back and try to bring back that DeGrom Serger tandem again. They're going to try to bring back Edwin Diaz. They're going to keep this offense the same. And the the addition might be resigning Nimmo and using some of the internal offensive options, which, unlike the pitching options, they have young offensive options that could provide you power. Vientos could provide you power against lefties. Alvarez could certainly provide you power. Beatty, I think, is more of a balanced uh, combination of power and contact. We'll see. Those are young guys. They have options. They can spell an Eduardo Escobar. They could potentially take over behind the plate. And you know what? If you want to move on from Darren Ruff and save a few shekels with the $3 million you owe him, you could probably plug in Vientos, and certainly the fans are going to say you could do the same thing. Ruff has a resume. Vientos doesn't. That's the difference. And we just talked about how if we're going to have this randomness of the postseason, then maybe you play it out a little bit because you don't have to win 108 games and win a championship. Now, throughout the season, while we're judging a team's worthiness, that might not look like nobody would have thought of the Phillies as a championship team. And remember, baseball's a copycat sport. They tend to get a little bit bananas about recency. Like when the Marlins won a World Series in 03, everybody, oh, the only way you could win is with two speedy guys like Pierre and Castillo. And the Red Sox win, it was all about on-base percentage, and, and of course that lasted a long time. We always, you know, Braves win, it's about strong starting pitching. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon of whoever is successful. So if the Guardians go far, 
believe me, what the Mets are doing is going to look a lot better because they're doing it similarly. Well, by the way, a couple of guys that came up in the Mets system. So, to me, don't get crazy here expecting an overhaul. They basically told you it's not happening. Now, if DeGrom doesn't come back and Nimmo doesn't come back and Diaz doesn't come back, that blueprint may be blown up a lot. I got the impression they're fairly confident they could bring it back because if you're going to build your team on top of the rotation 1-2, unless they could go out and get Otani, and that's a whole other conversation, you got to bring back DeGrom because if you look, I mean, Carlos Rodon, um, you know, Verlander, I mean, there's no guarantees they're going to come here. I think the other thing that Billy Epler is going to do is he's going to try to bring guys that fit in New York. Guys that are good people. That doesn't mean that, you know, everybody had to love each other and hang out. But guys that really are focused and dedicated on the commitment to winning, the commitment to their craft, to work, you know, the things that that matter. And I'm pretty sure that that's going to be part of it. I think that you saw how he built the team on the fly. And give him a ton of credit. I mean, I think that this is something that is overlooked. This team a year ago was in complete chaos. Nobody wanted to work here. They did not have the foundation, the bones of a championship team. They didn't even have a manager. I mean, they did this whole slap together, totally not the process that you'd want. Now they finally have things settled. For the first time in almost six years, we're not talking about managers and GMs and ownership changes. I mean, think about all of that noise and how difficult it is to win. Now you finally have guys together in Sapatico that provide different components to winning Together, there's nothing better than that. Forget about hiring David Stearns. When they want a president of the, of the team, they want a business guy. Now, because there is a budget, because there are limitations like any team, even you know a Steve Cohen team, it's very possible that you're going to have to live with McGill and Peterson at 4 and 5 instead of really veterans like a Walker and a Carrasco who could give you top of the rotation performance, perhaps – where those other two guys can't. They can give you good performances, but very rarely are they going to give you top-of-the-rotation performances. You might have to accept that they're going to bring back and you know a guy like Adovino who may take a little bit less to stay here than you know another reliever that might get more out on the open market. They may play with certain parts of the, the team. Think about what Theo Epstein said on the show with Sherman and Heyman. The things you value in the regular season, the back in the rotation, bullpen depth, beating up on bad pitching. You don't really have to worry about that in the long run. You got to get into the postseason. You've got to hit elite pitching, how you do that. And I think part of that, yeah, I think if you really want to talk about the Mets and where the improvement lies offensively, and Billy Epler said it when Vogelback came on board, they scored more runs, that DH position. And the commitment this is this team made to both Dom Smith and J.D. Davis absolutely killed them long-term. Now, that wasn't an issue after August 2nd, but that's where if you want to look at their overall stats, you have a competent DH, or you had Vogelback all year with some kind of competency on, on the right-handed side. You wouldn't be talking as much about the power. I mean, Dom Smith didn't hit a home run. I mean, talk about it. You don't want to be bad. Fine, you didn't even hit a home run. In the big leagues. Between a combination of Vogelback and some, let's say, Vientos, Alvarez, whatever, 
you're going to hit more home runs from that DH spot. You can't not do worse than they did prior to August 2nd. J.D. Davis, big disappointment. Big disappointment. Probably, in my eyes, needed to change his scenery. But he was elite. Like, he was a top 15 run creator in the second half or late June, June, July in 2019. That's a long time ago, though. But he showed that again when he went to San Francisco. So, don't expect wholesale changes here. Don't expect all of a sudden, you know, I talked about maybe a DH like Jose Abreu, J.D. Martinez. They'll be opportunistic if those markets come down as this, as the winter goes on. But that's not the core of the plan. The core of the plan, I believe, is to bring back Nimmo, bring back DeGrom, bring back Diaz, start those three, make them a priority, figure out the bullpen as you go along throughout the winter, figure out the back end of the rotation as you go along the winter, and see where you can potentially upgrade in areas that stay within the tenets of good defense, contact, um, good team players. I think the other component is speed with the bases changing. They have a couple of guys, and Marte and Lindor of healthy should be able to potentially make an impact. I know Nimmo doesn't like stealing bases because he wants to stay healthy. I think part of it is his instincts aren't good on that. Maybe they add that. I mean, Nimmo's a guy that was not a good defensive player but made himself a good defensive player because he worked really hard. I mean, a really good defensive center fielder. I'm amazed at what he's, where he's come. He can do that on the base paths with uh, stealing bases. I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him. He's got that it. Stop looking at just the back of the baseball card or the front of the baseball reference page. Nimmo's got it. That is what they see that I don't 100% see, you don't 100% see, maybe we get glimpses of it. They know that. That's what they got Buck there for. That's what they got Hefner there for. That's what they got the coaching staff there for. And look, the, the minor league team's not ready to contribute outside of those big three guys. Yeah, we'll, again, we'll get more into this at another time. Believe me. They got a couple offensive players, but they don't have the pitching depth. They're going to have to go out and sign guys. I don't know what they got. I mean, maybe there's a couple of bullpen arms that are interesting, but that's not where they're going to spend their money. They're going to spend their money on bringing this band back. Those top three are, are crucial. And Bassett, I'd put there as kind of like on the fringes. But again, that's a much more in-depth conversation. So Billy Epler and Buck gave you possibly everything that you want to know about this team that is going to happen. So don't be disappointed. Don't be disappointed when they run this thing back out offensively. They told you they are. They told you today. Now, if DeGrom leaves, if Diaz doesn't resign, it'll be different. We get it. It'll be a little bit different. But remember something real, and this is really important. It's extremely important. There is a budget. This is not spending wildly. Steve Cohen wants to see that farm system get built up, and that's why... I think you're going to have to look at a team that potentially is going to get more value-driven in the back end of the rotation with McGill and Peterson. May try to take a flyer on some upside arms in the bullpen. It is a situation where they could spend to get to the point where they could then augment their roster where the $300 million payroll doesn't have to be 325 330 350 Because right now, they got no depth in pitching. they got to spend to bring it in. They've got no bullpen for the most part to bring in. They've got a, co- a confluence of like the worst case scenario, big time integral components of their team 
that have to be re-signed that are going to get big deals in Nimmo and whatnot. So keep that in mind as you go forward. Now, what will our panel talk about? Well, we got a lot. We're going to take a break. Our panel's going to talk about, hey, this whole trust issue with the Mets. What do they think about it? Because I feel like this is going to be a theme with the media, and it could hurt the team in the sense where there may be this malaise or lack of support, especially earlier in the season. Direction going forward, I want to hear what the fans would like to do. We already were told by Billy Epler how they're going to do this. He gave you the blueprint. It could change if something wild happens, and I'm sure they like to use that term opportunistic. But what would you, you know, you as a fan, what would you like to see? And of course, I'm sure there'll be a big idea or or whatnot. And finally, like I talked about in the open, how are you going to get through this offseason? Because how are you going to get your baseball fix? Be curious to hear what the panel has to say. So let's take a quick break. When I return, we're going to have part two. You're going to download part two separately. Our Talking Mets panel, our kickoff the offseason Talking Mets panel. It's been a while since we've had it. Some new luminaries, some returning luminaries. We'll have that and more right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. 